Hello and welcome on the barricades. My name is Bruno Stanislavski, and this is another edition of our show. This is also another edition of our political tourism, where I take you on walks in different locations and where I discuss political matters with you. So today I'm coming to you from downtown Sofia. Sofia is the capital city of Bulgaria, and it's a very special place for me. So I'm really glad to be able to interact with you from here. Sofia is my hometown. This is where I was born, and this is where I've spent my childhood and a large portion of my teenage years before I moved to Poland. So it's a great pleasure for me uh, to be able to make this video here. And it's not going to be the only video that I'm going to make here because I'm going to stay here for a couple of days. So expect more reports uh, in such format from here. I'm walking towards one of the most central spots right now in Sofia. Uh, in front of me is the building uh, that used to serve as the headquarters of the Bulgarian Communist Party, the party that ruled Bulgaria since 1944 until 1989. And I'm going to try and show it to you. So, we are in Bulgaria, we are in Sofia, but I'm not going to talk about Bulgaria or about Bulgarian politics. I will some other time. Uh, today I want to fulfill the promise that I made in the first episode of our experimental series. I'm not going to call it experimental anymore because it seems like the feedback is overwhelmingly positive, so I just consider it now to be part of our routine on this channel. Uh, so the series, the sub-series that we launched this week, I think on Tuesday, I said I will uh, tackle the question of Polish authorities, Polish authorities' eagerness to uh, escalate a crisis in Ukraine to a point where it spills over Poland, into Poland uh, somehow in a, in a violent manner, you know, spills over to Poland beyond the way it has already spilled, that is the refugees, you know, two million of them and so on. Ah, this intersection is, uh, this intersection is not the intersection I wanted to get to. Sorry about that, I got a little confused. So why is the, I'm gonna head, I'm gonna head here, All right? Uh, so this <clears throat> uh, this question is pretty important, and it's actually you know pretty important because it uh, it begs the question why, right? Like many of you who follow to the extent that it's possible to do that from uh, wherever you are in the West, who follow the situation in Eastern Europe, that's very strange, right? Like any sane politician, any sane government would like to protect their nation, protect their country from getting involved in war, you know, uh, but not the Polish, because the Polish politicians, you see, they are not normal politicians and uh, I don't think it's the right moment for me to explain like how the party was exactly created the ruling party in Poland what people are at the head of the party and and what do they model themselves on I will perhaps create another episode make another video about this uh, suffice to say that they are not a normal party that uh, not a, not normal not normative from the standpoint of uh, the theory of liberal democracy okay uh, not a typical conservative party that you would encounter in other Western countries. It's uh, one of those parties that people like to call right-wing populist. I think they are much worse than 
anything right-wing populist in the West. Like, for example, if you compare the Polish ruling party, and by the way, the party is called Law and Justice. The name itself already gives you a sense of what kind of party, what kind of political profile they have, right? Uh, but it's, you know, if you compare it, for example, to Marine Le Pen's party, I'm sorry, I forgot the name now. It used to be the National Front. Now it's some kind of national unity or national reunion or whatever. Uh, and uh, if you compare the programs, then you will see that, well, we should not use those terms in a frivolous manner. Because if we call Marine Le Pen's organization a far-right extremist one, and it often is being referred to that way uh, in the mainstream media, uh, even in the leftist discourse, then how are you going to call, how are you going to refer to, how are you going to describe the Polish authorities and the Polish party, uh, the, the law and justice party. Uh, well, you're going to call them Nazi? Because they are much more to the right than Marine Le Pen. Okay, I'm going to use this intersection to cross the street. Uh, you can hear some noise because I'm in one of the busiest streets in Sofia. So, uh, yeah, but I'm going to isolate myself in a minute. Let me just cross this this uh, main street here. The street is called Kniaginia Maria Luisa, and Kniaginia means princess, and uh, well, there isn't enough time for me to explain the history of Bulgaria. What you can see behind me is an interesting building. It was, uh, <clears throat> it was like uh, the central shopping mall of Sofia before the Second World War. Uh, it's called Centralni Hali, and Centralni Hali means like this well, word-for-word word translation is central hall, but uh, it's, it, it's, it's a kind of uh, merchant's hall, like where, you know, merchants would go and uh, in the past would, you know, sell their products. Anyway, so the Polish, the Polish party, uh, the Polish ruling party, the currently ruling party, Law and Justice, which has been in power since 2015, is, uh, is much more extreme in their right-wingness. Uh, than, for example, Marine Le Pen's one. And uh, on top of everything, you know, they are not only nationalistic uh, thugs, but they are also Catholic fundamentalist ideologues. And I think it's very important to understand because they are really, really obsessed with this. It's not a normal party. Again, it's, uh, it's a bunch of ideologues who are extremely power-hungry, very corrupt, and... Uh, <clears throat> And they have only one idea in their mind, which is this obsession with the church. And they define their nationalism. Uh, of course, not all of them, but, you know, the majority of the leading personas. They, they define the statehood and the culture that should dominate in Poland exactly through the prism of uh, the position of the church. And... Uh, that's why they want to elevate it. That's one of the reasons, of course, that they want to elevate it, you know. Uh, they want to put it, you know, above the state so that it kind of oversees everything. Uh, and again, you know, it's, I'm kind of simplifying uh, it a little bit because there are nuances to that. But there is no time right now, and this is not a good moment to go into those nuances. I will do that some other time if you are interested in the kind of pathologies of the Polish right wing and their ideological uh, obsessions. Uh, what I want to focus now on is that this reflects uh, 
reflects on their action. This translates into actions, and this is the only thing which determines their identity that actually drives them to do things. Like those people, and this is another reason why they are not a normal party, they have no idea of politics. They don't know what it means like that there are social groups, for example, different social groups who have interests and that they have to be managed within some kind of art of statecraft. Uh, you know, they have no idea of things like responsibility for decisions taken and stuff like that. Really no idea whatsoever. Uh, they are... Uh, thus, of course, it's impossible for them to create coherent uh, strategies of, I don't know, development of certain areas. It could be the economy or, I don't know, it could be the agriculture, or could be whatever, right? And of course, they have no idea about international politics. All the more they have no idea about international politics. Uh, like, you know, if you have no idea about domestic politics, then let alone about international politics, this is why they, they just followed one path. The path designed in 1989, or in the early 90s, that whatever happens in terms of international politics, we always support Washington, no matter what. Like, we don't ask questions, we don't even consider ourselves, you know, uh, good enough to get to ask questions. So they don't ask any questions, they just go for it. And what they are uh, also... Like, the only strategic element, the way they strategize, if this is any kind of strategy, if they strategize this uh, blind following uh, of the Washington, then they, they strategize it only to the extent that they want to use it for domestic purposes. Now, how they can use anything for domestic purposes, uh, since they have no idea of politics and, and they, 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 they can't conduct themselves as politicians? Well, uh, okay, I was going to show you this building of the headquarters of the Communist Party. Uh, now it's uh, now it serves as one of the buildings of the National Assembly that is the Bulgarian Parliament. Uh, okay, let me try and cross the street here, although it's not exactly legal. Uh, anyway, how they can how how can the Polish use anything for domestic purposes since I said they have no idea of how to conduct themselves as real politicians. Well, the answer is they have to remain in power somehow. And since they cannot exercise politics, since they cannot entertain the idea that you can actually have a comprehensive and coherent idea about a you know, concrete and specific issue or, a, or kind of concrete and specific political aspects of, you know, the everyday life of your society, uh, then they had to find a way to somehow engage the society and engage it. Okay, I think this is a good moment, perhaps the only moment. Right. Okay, I'm here. Uh, now, this is the building that I, I mentioned at the beginning of the program. Uh, I guess I should buy a better camera. You can hardly see it from here. Let me do one more illegal thing for you and cross to a small spot here. Okay, so that's it. That's it. It's, it's a very beautiful building and uh, there's a story connected to it. At the top of it, you saw it probably, probably 
there's a Bulgarian flag. But before they put the Bulgarian flag there, uh, after 1989, there was a huge 50 kilogram uh, red star made of Rubin stone. And someone stole it, actually. There's this. Uh, no, until today, we have no idea who has done this. But that's another show, another story about the Bulgarian transition and the theft here. This is, you know, least uh, of all, all the stealings that occurred after 1989. Anyway, so again, I'm coming back to the start. I'm sorry about this digression. I just really cared to show you that building. So, uh, oh, and one more building behind me, you can see uh, the presidential office. And uh, you can see it from here, but there are two soldiers in those funny historical uniforms uh, that you can see at the main entrance to, to that office, to that building. So, in order to stay in power, Law and Justice and the leader of Law and Justice, whom I like to call the chairman of the state, most powerful person in Polish politics since 2015, actually a dictator. Uh, a dictator not so much because, you know, he organizes mass repression, but a dictator of the internal political process in Poland. Like nothing can happen without his blessing, agreement, or without him telling someone to do something or launching some kind of process or activity. Uh, so Jaroslav Kaczynski, who's the chairman of the party, who I call the chairman of the state, which I find to be a more accurate description, really, of his uh, job or position. Uh, for the last half a year, he actually did acquire some sort of uh, government position. I think he became... Uh, I think he became the vice prime minister for uh, security affairs or something like that. But this is just the last half a year, and we're talking about law and justice being in power since 2015, which is six years. So six months, six years. And uh, the reason for why he actually entered uh, the government officially is that uh, he's probably preparing for early elections uh, this year. And I'm gonna get to that point, but again, I have to go back. It's the third time I'm going back. I'm sorry about this chaos. Uh, I have to circle back, as Jen Saki likes to say, circle back to uh, the question of how are those people still in power, provided that they have no idea of politics? Well, what can you substitute politics with? With emotions. That's the most, uh, most toxic thing, of course, you can do. Uh, and uh, now there are all those techniques to manipulate people's emotions, you know, PR, marketing. Uh, this is really something absolutely unacceptable, what they're doing, how they're wrecking the public opinion, how they are, you know, destroying the collective mindset, not just of the working class, but in general, like of the, you know, active minorities in the society, <clears throat> or in, in, in the societies in the world in general, who are interested in, you know, the public affair, the public sphere, public matters, political matters, and so on and so forth. How, how <clears throat> you know, these people are being actively manipulated, lied to, and, and kind of, you know, uh, convinced that, you know, everything that is said in the mainstream media, which 80-90% of it is like, straight up lies, how it is the only truth that is acceptable, how everything else is under Russian or Chinese disinformation or trolling or whatever. So uh, they use this. <clears throat> this party is 120% PR, marketing, and, uh, and, and they, they have mastered, in particular Yaroslav Kaczynski, they have mastered the art of disbalancing the society emotionally uh, 
and when they have to, they disbalance the people to the point of absolute uh, psychological, collective psychological breakdown. And we've seen that over the last six years many times. And uh, now, with this war, you know, this war is a blessing for them. It's a gift from heaven. They hope so much that it is going to happen. Why? Because, of course, this strategy of hyping people up, of uh, disbalancing them emotionally, uh, of uh, sowing nonsensical discord or discord along nonsensical lines, you know, absolutely artificial divisions in society, and making people, you know, being at, uh, be at each other's throats to the extent that, you know, families would break apart. They would not, uh, you know, they would not anymore organize reunions for uh, Christmas or Easter and stuff like that. And, you know, the Polish are, 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 are uh, Catholic and, and pretty traditionalist. So for them, you know, things like Christmas or Easter are very important and not to... Uh, not to organize a ritualist, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, to uh, not to reunite on such occasions is, is something really, really big for them. So I'm just, uh, I'm telling and explaining that in order for you to get a sense of the magnitude uh, of the wrecking of, of, of the social fabric that those people, um, are capable of and uh, it all started actually in 2010 when they discovered it uh, when the plane when the Polish government plane crushed in Russia and killed the president at the time uh, Lech Kaczynski who was the twin brother of Jaroslav Kaczynski the guy that I told you is the most powerful politician in Poland has been the most powerful politician in Poland since 2015 and they discovered it then that they can uh, prop up all kinds of conspiracy theories about it, like how you know Putin killed, you know, uh, the president of the Republic of Poland and you know the 95 other officials that were on that plane. I will actually make a program about this. How this is an absolute utter lie. But until today, some 30, 35 percent of the polls, according to uh, according to what I read. I think a year ago or two years ago, 30 to 35 percent of the polls actually believe that you know some Russians have killed their president in 2010. But this is when they discovered it that you can actually uh, try and you can actually be a factor, a public factor, a political factor in Poland on the basis of hyping up the, such uh, such nonsense every once in a while, and and to you know create very sharp divisions in the society by you know. Uh, accepting those who support you or who support your crazy uh, theories as poles, real poles, patriots, and so on and so forth, and the others uh, by uh, smearing them as not Polish enough or artificial poles or some, uh, some kind of, you know, uh, some kind of people who are not worth uh, to be called Polish and by, by basically stripping them of this dignity which uh, they acquire by just you know becoming a member of this nation so mm, you know there are the Polish and there is the fifth column there are the agents of Germany or Russia there are the agents of Brussels the agents of the civilization of death who you want to uh, who, you know they want to for example destroy the Polish family by giving <clears throat> I don't know gay men right uh, rights uh, 
to, to marry, to adopt children, and so on and so forth. You know the story, right? I'm not going to go into it. But this is when they discovered it, and they, they've practiced it, and they've been mastering it for uh, over a decade now. And they, they became good enough at it already in 2015. And since 2015, since they were in power and they were able to engage the entire machinery of the state to actually do this for them, not just the media, not just the state media that they've taken over and they've turned into a propaganda machine so cheap and so bad and so, uh, so horrible that, you know, even if you uh, take the state media from the 50s or 60s, that's what my parents say and that's what their friends in Poland say, it was better, it was more critical back then than it is now. Uh, but this is how they do it in general. So this war is very important for them and, and it's particularly important because, because before the war this mechanism has already been exhausted and worn out to the point where you know people started seeing through it because you can people you can keep people you can keep the emotional upheaval for a long time but not forever so like you know okay you can hype people up but then you have to make a political move and they don't do that right so you could hype people up make a political move appease people they hype them up again then make some political move and you know this way you would create some kind of room for yourself but they don't do that because they don't know how to conduct themselves as politicians they only know how to manipulate the society into this kind of emotional nonsense and and, and breakdown psychological breakdowns and stuff like this so people started seeing through that and actually they were about to lose the next elections and they were you know doing all kinds of very very desperate moves which i don't have the time to go into but some of them are pretty funny actually so i will make another recording about that probably sometime later <clears throat> uh and uh and you know and they were in this this situation so they thought okay let's let's try and use uh the ukraine case as uh as something that is going to help us uh, uh help us get on a on a whole new level with this emotional disbalancing of society uh, and um, and and then you know for a while they were they were you know they were doing all kinds of conspiratorial uh, they were coming up with all kinds of conspiratorial ideas but then the war came and this was a big breakthrough and they started accepting all those refugees and they started you know uh, talking about Putin and they started doing uh, <clears throat> pretty much all the things that uh, the West has been doing, right? Like canceling Russian culture, canceling Russian uh, presence in the public sphere in general. And, uh, and they were fear-mongering to an extent that I just cannot describe, like how Poland is going to become the next, uh, the next object of attack, how Poland is uh, going to be the, you know, <clears throat> the second country to be taken over uh, by the Russians after uh, Ukraine, how uh, if things go uh, wrong for Putin in Ukraine, Poland is going to be bombed with a nuclear, <clears throat> with a nuclear bomb, like all kinds of crazy, crazy, absolutely crazy stories, okay? And uh, on top of everything, you know, uh, in, in Poland, you know, Russia, Ukraine, uh, everything happening pretty much in the vicinity of Poland, this really opened up the old wounds, uh, historical wounds that never healed, uh, uh, you know, to the extent that, that they would become sort of unusable uh, for political purposes. So all those things uh, kind of combined produced an atmosphere that I just cannot describe, like, Guys, I had to go off Facebook. 
I had to go off other social platforms because I wasn't able to cope with it. You know, I saw intelligent people, friends of mine, writing some crazy, crazy, utter, utterly crazy shit about, uh, you know, what's going on. And I just simply had to isolate myself. I've chosen the path of some kind of internal emigration. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I, it was, it, it, and still, you know, it was difficult to isolate oneself. <clears throat> but anyway, for the law and justice, this is the great, um, the great moment of uh, the great moment in their uh, in their campaign, in their new campaign for the early elections that are planned to be that I think are uh, are, are going to be held this year. So they want what they want to do is they want to instigate as much chaos and as violent chaos as possible in Poland, because this will allow them to do this posturing of you know strong leaders patriots who are going to in uh, who are going to to introduce law and order who will control the chaos and who will put things back in their place and no one else can do that only them because they are the true poles and all other people like Donald Tusk he's only for Deutschland and you know some other people are uh, Zarasiu and you know that kind of stuff right so it's only them and this is why they do all those crazy moves. This is why they really want NATO to engage the Russian military in some manner so that, I don't know, two, three, five, ten, twenty, fifty Polish soldiers die, for example, from, say, a Russian missile that would immediately, you know, take out this, what they call a peace -ke NATO peacekeeping mission that would be installed, according to their idea, in, uh, uh, in Ukraine. That would be fantastic because that would really help them to uh, that would rationalize sort of their uh, crazy ideas <clears throat> that they've been coming up with uh, since the war started uh, and it would for sure uh, work in their favor and would allow this posturing that I explained. Now second thing about the refugees, as you know uh, in Poland we've got like two million refugees from Ukraine, more than that probably, I mean I'm, the official figures from the day before yesterday were like two million one hundred and thirty eight thousand I would bet my head on the fact that it's probably two million and a half, but uh, of course uh, not all of them stay in Poland, some of them go to Germany, some of them go to other countries in Western Europe, but most of them do stay in Poland actually, and I don't believe that any of them really have the hope that they will ever get back to Ukraine. But uh, now suddenly, of course, Poland is welcoming all the refugees, like uh, half a year ago we had this crisis of, with 2,000 people, not 2 million, 2,000 people at the Polish-Belarusian border, and uh, we had to send, like we, I mean the Polish government had to send the army there, you know, 15,000 troops, policemen, uh, military policemen, uh, and, and border guards, okay, armed to prevent the 2,000 people from entering Poland who did not want to stay in Poland. There were clear indications that they just want to pass through Poland and they want to go to Germany and to other Western European states. But they wouldn't be allowed. They even erected a wall, like, you know, the Trump kind of, the Trump kind of thing. Uh, they did it, you know. <clears throat> and now they welcome all the refugees. And more than that, they said that they don't care about any relocation mechanism. That is, they don't care about other uh, European Union states taking care of some portions of those refugees who, uh, who are in Poland now. Why is that? Of course, it's clear to any thinking person that Poland is not capable, does not have the capacity to service two million or two million and a half or three million probably soon uh, refugees from wherever, be it Ukraine or, or 
wherever. There's just, we don't have the infrastructure, we don't have the capacity, economic capacity, uh, infrastructural capacity, administrational capacity. It's impossible, okay? So what they did is they privatized the problem partially and they called on the people to, you know, help the poor Ukrainians who are suffering at the hand of this evil person in the Kremlin, Putin, and, you know, let's try and, uh, by uh, being empathetic and sympathetic to those Ukrainians, let's try and demonstrate to Putin how tough we are and how we're not afraid of his atomic bomb that he is about to drop on Warsaw if he fails in Ukraine and stuff like that. And, you know, he actually did manage to convince many people to, uh, uh, to take Ukrainian refugees uh, if they had a spare room or something like that, you know, to take them and give them shelter at their place, in their homes. And in Warsaw alone, we've got like 5,000 families, I think, probably even more now. Uh, that's data from last week. Uh, 5,000 families who actually did give, uh, 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 did allow Ukrainian families or Ukrainian people in their homes. Uh, and uh, they are being given some kind of 10 euros per month, I think, per person. Like the equivalent of that in Zlotis, like 40 Zlotis, that's actually less than 10 euros. That's what uh, the municipality gives out to those families who register as uh, as having given a shelter to Ukrainian refugees. So they, they get this. This is, of course, absolutely nothing. Like, I don't know, 10 euros is, uh, is like three beers, uh, you know, in a bar in Warsaw. Maybe even less than that if you, uh, if you uh, buy a more expensive one. Uh, more expensive beer than just the most regular ones. So uh, those refugees, the problem with those refugees was partially privatized and it has only been privatized for, for an amount of time. For I think two months or three months they were going to, uh, those families were gonna, uh, are going to get those, those money, okay? Then they also promised, actually, you know what, before I continue, because I want to move move on from here and I've been on this square. I just wanted to show you this. This is the National Theater in Sofia. Again, one of the most central uh, spots in the city. And uh, yeah, and I'm moving on. So uh, they also promise those refugees that they will be accepted. They, will, they can stay in Poland if they like for as long as they want, that their children are going to start uh, getting educated in Poland, in Polish schools, within the Polish public education system, that they can be treated for free within the Polish National Healthcare Funds uh, system. Uh, that is, they can go and see a doctor and they won't have to pay anything. That they can travel for free throughout Poland on trains, on buses, and on public transit, you know, in, this, in the towns and cities that have public transit. They promised them also that they're going to be paying them pensions, okay, to the elderly people. And they also, of course, promised that they're going to find work uh, to people who are, you know, capable of working, who are able to work. And why are they doing this? Not because they are sympathetic and, and, uh, to, to those refugees, not because they empathize with them, not because they really want to help them. They don't care. Those are one of the most... This is probably the most cynical political organization in the Polish history, okay? They don't care at all for them. What they want to do is they are hoping that by this, by that, by those actions and with floating those ideas, they will create, uh, sooner or later, rather sooner than later, 
a major clash between the Polish and the Ukrainians. And let me tell you that traditionally speaking, so to say, historically speaking, the Poles and the Ukrainians are at odds and have been at odds pretty much throughout the modern history. So, you know, like the wave of violent Polish nationalism is now receiving so much fuel and it's, you know, the explosion that we're going to witness uh, in a few weeks, few months, maybe one year, I don't know, depends on the circumstances, it's going to be, wow, it's going to be something that uh, will turn many places in Poland into something like a war zone. You will see so much violence and I guarantee this is going to happen for sure. And they want this to happen the way they do that. Like, you know, they just deliberately want to irritate the Polish society and in particular the Polish nationalists. Like, what is this, for example, you know, people going on, on trams and, and, and buses and, uh, you know, trains for free uh, just by showing Ukrainian passport. Now, what it led to and what everyone knows that it leads to or that it was going to lead to is that those Ukrainians, and there were like, I don't know, 600,000, 1 million of them, I'm not sure, those that already lived in Poland, have lived in Poland before uh, the war began, they stopped buying tickets and they are, you know, they are, they, are, <laughs> they can just go on, 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 on the train or, uh, uh, you know, they can use the, uh, the public transit for free, right? Uh, so everybody knows that, and everybody goes like, "What the hell? Why is this? Why is this happening?" Uh, then you know the question of, for example, the doctors and the legal, uh, the healthcare system. Like, it, do you know how difficult it is to to see a specialist like a cardiologist or dermatologist within the system that is sponsored by the National Healthcare Fund in Poland? It's extremely difficult. Now my parents are very old; they live in Poland. My father's like 83, so uh, you know, pretty much when he has to go and see a specialist, I always have to, you know, organize a private session, like a, you know, that he can go and see a doctor in his office privately, for which we pay, because otherwise he'd have to wait for like I don't know, half a year, for example. And I'm not making it up; like half a year, nine months. Those are uh, such are the lines; they are so big, the queues are so long. Okay, and. Those Ukrainians were promised that they can see any specialist within two weeks. Now, how is this? Like, what's, what's the idea behind this? Like, obviously, this is to sow discord and create conditions for an eruption of violent nationalistic wave. And they want this to happen. They really care that it happens as soon as possible so that they can come out and say, okay, now we are going to... Just a sec. Okay, now we are going to save you, you know, save you from the problems that we created ourselves. We are going to protect you. And of course, they will uh, unleash the police, the secret services and everything. And they hope that within this chaos, they will, able to, they will be able to finish off their political opponents and uh, that, they will be, uh, th that they will be able to, of course, repress those elements in, in the society that, are, uh, that could endanger them now or... Uh, in, in uh, well, sometime in the future, uh, and uh, they will deal with the opposition from the left. They will deal with the opposition from the right, and finally, they're going to get to this point where everybody's going to fear them. Okay, this is their model. This is their idea how uh, the society should be ruled. It should be ruled by fear, 
and uh, when they get a chance to unleash this uh, wave of repression, this is going to be, you know, like a climax for them. They, they're going to be so happy about it. They really want this to happen. And uh, if, you know, the Polish army uh, gets engaged to some extent, even minimal extent, uh, uh, you know, in the war in Ukraine, in a sense, as I told you, I mean, they don't have to necessarily engage the Russian army in a kind of shooting situation, but they, they can just, you know, go install something uh, that they're going to call, I don't know, a peacekeeping mission, Polish peacekeeping mission, NATO peacekeeping mission, whatever. And, uh, you know, the moment it gets destroyed by the Russians, and it will inevitably would be, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. They're going to say, oh, you see, we told you the Russians are after the Polish, and now we have to, you know, nah, uh, we have to do all those extraordinary things to protect you and uh, you know I guess a large part of the Polish public opinion is going to actually fall for that is gonna buy into that so for them chaos violence destruction this is the way they want to go uh, and that is why they are doing all those weird moves like you know uh, the MiGs that we're going to, uh, I think it's an idea from two or three weeks ago, the MiGs that were going to start from Polish bases and they were going to engage the Russian military. Uh, Ukrainian pilots were going to fly in those planes, but, uh, but, but of course, oh, let me show you the, uh, the hipster street in, uh, in Sofia. It's called, uh, uh, <coughs> it's called Tsarshishman, and, uh, yeah, that's where... Uh, that's the hipster area of Sofia, and you can see, like, you know, expensive bakeries and stuff like that, or, I don't know, handmade, uh, handmade ceramics and, 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 you know, all kinds of petit bourgeois perversions are available here, and they're very expensive, of course. So, uh, that's what they want. That's what, that's where they're going. That's, that's what they have in mind. This is their way of, uh, conducting politics in quotation marks of course I mean this is not politics this is just wrecking the public opinion wrecking the society wrecking the state uh, wrecking the nation this is just destruction and and nonsense that's what it is there's nothing more in it uh, and yet you know those people have the nerve to call other leaders uh, that they are agents or that they are being soft with Putin or that they are you know <clears throat> uh, that they are not Euro-Atlantic enough, that, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And of course, the thing that they don't understand here is that other politicians, weak as they are, you know, these European leaders, I criticize them many times, you know, in our programs. The quality of European leadership today is something that is so despicable. It's difficult to, I, I don't even want to go there, okay? Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they don't understand that those people are different that they are politicians actually you know to some extent or uh, or another it's just they uh, they don't understand that you know sometimes you have to make concessions sometimes you have to make some strategic moves sometimes you have to you know do things which contradict your you know ideology just in order to be able to score some points at a later stage they don't strategize anything uh, they don't understand anything about that they are just so lame and so incompetent, so uh, so horrible, you know, and so petty. They are just petty people, power-hungry, corrupt, Catholic fundamentalist ideologues. That's what they are. And they are happy 
they are happy to put their nation in a harm's way for as long as they can, you know, fulfill their ideological fantasy that, you know, they will be able to rule over the Polish nation uh, by, by instigating fear and that they will uh, not be limited in their power and in their uh, intrigues and games by any kind of uh, legal uh, boundaries. And they don't care about the legal uh, system at all. I mean, pretty much everything that has been happening in the Polish politics since 2015, it, like 70% of it is uh, contradicting the constitution. They were, you know, uh, building parallel institutions which are absolutely unconstitutional. Uh, they were violating uh, the, the, the most basic, the most fundamental constitutional provisions like uh, those who uh, determine the position of the High Court in Poland or of the Constitutional Tribunal in Poland. They totally destroyed those institutions. I mean, not the High Court, but, uh, but the Constitutional Tribunal, yes, it's now just uh, an extension of law and justice, an extension of the, I would say, the right hand of the chairman of the state, Jarosław Kaczynski. So, again, uh, many things to talk about here. But I hope I made, uh, I hope I did provide a kind of coherent explanation uh, to a coherent answer to the question as to why are the Polish so eager to escalate the crisis in Ukraine to the point that uh, Poland is involved uh, big time or in, in some kind of major manner, okay? And uh, I promise to continue deliberating on the nature of the Polish right wing, the one that is currently in power. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about, believe me, because uh, those people, they they come up with some kind of outrage every week, or I don't know, every month. Uh, well, no, every month they come up with a few outrages, uh, uh, no one. So like every two weeks, every week, there's something strange, something stupid. And uh, that's the end of the program today. Behind me, you can see, uh, a very nice church, Svetisimulcislenici. Actually, uh, the office of our publishing house was in the vicinity of that church. We actually have given up the office, uh, you know, because of the pandemic, and now we all work from home. But the church is very nice. Okay, I'll see you again soon. This is all from me for today. All the very best, and stay healthy, keep fighting, and don't forget to go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash barricade, and to the extent you, that you feel you can afford, please support our independent Eastern European lefty journalism. Ciao.